Great song service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. For if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of his spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Father, we ask that you would just use this passage, Lord, to speak to our hearts further. We thank you for the truths that have been sung to us, that we've sung along, and ask that you would now uh, impress this truth from this passage upon us in such a way that we would know that you love us, that you desire for us to uh, be clothed upon in a new way. And Father, we will thank and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is not death to die, that song said, and I, I love the message of that. When you think it through, that's what this uh, passage is all about. That one day this mortal will put on immortality. And it is difficult for us. I'm going to give an illustration that I give at uh, funerals. And so you've probably heard this before if you've ever been to a funeral that I have preached. Because I use it at virtually every funeral that I've preached in the last 10 years uh, or so. But it's a great illustration. As As we face death... Uh, it's difficult sometimes for us to understand. In fact, uh, Psalm puts it this way. The psalmist puts it this way. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the dying of his saints. And uh, so what I say at a funeral, I'm going to say to you, is I've never, ever one time counted that as precious. I don't count that as precious. I've watched multitudes of people die, breathe their last breath, and go into eternity. I, I don't remember how many, but it's been a lot. And... Um, I've never one time walked away and said, wow, that was great. I can't wait for the next one. I, I, I don't, to me, it's not a precious time. But yet God says that that is a precious time. And so the, the understanding of the illustration is this. Uh, when um, you are expecting that little one, uh, you go home and you paint and you buy and you prepare and you plan and you map out everything, and you make everything ready for that little one to come into your life. And finally, that day comes. It's called a birthday. Uh, One of my family members had one of those this week. And uh, so it's a birthday. and, And for the very first time, mom and dad get to actually hold in their hands that little one and show them in a tangible way, how much they love them and take them to that place that they have prepared for them so lovingly, spent time and money and effort uh, getting ready uh, for them. And so we mark that day and we celebrate that day for the rest of our lives and we think of it as precious. We call it their birthday and it's a precious time. Well, this womb holds us back from the Father's presence But one day, 
when this mortal puts on immortality and we are birthed into the presence of the Heavenly Father, and for the very first time that, in a physical sense, we can see the nail-scarred hands of our Savior, and we can see him as he draws us in and scoops us up into his arms. And to the Lord, that is precious. It is not death to die. But it truly is a precious time. And knowing that this is what we look forward to, the Apostle Paul then adds something to this message. Knowing that the, the, what we're going to do is live out our lives here only for it to get better. Do you understand? Only for us to look forward to what is coming. Only, and that is why you know, we get to that place in our lives where we literally are looking forward to the Lord's return. Not that we look forward to death necessarily, but we want the Lord to come back right now. And we're ready for him to come back. And by the way, uh, you know, even with that concept, death doesn't scare us. Not that, again, we're not looking forward to it necessarily, but it doesn't scare us. Because we know what death brings. It brings not an unclothing, is talked about here. Not that we're going to put off, but that th- what's going to happen is that righteousness is going to reclothe us, and this mortal puts on immortality, and everything changes. So with that in mind, the Apostle Paul then in verse 9 says something. All this in mind, knowing that this is what we have to look forward to, and this life offers so very little. It says in verse 9, Wherefore, or for this reason, because all of this is going to happen, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. What we want to look at today is, what makes this life worthwhile? What are we supposed to do while we're here that has any meaning whatsoever, knowing that there is a greater that is coming? Knowing that what this life is, is the horror we groan in this life. But when this life puts on immortality, everything changes. And for that reason, we labor. And the first thing the Apostle Paul says here is, we labor so that we might be accepted of him, or literally, so that he might be pleased with what we are doing. One of the great reasons that we labor, that we do anything... By the way, if you're here this morning because you feel obligated, what's pastor going to think if I don't show up? You're missing the great joy of coming to church. If you sing songs this morning because you don't want Pastor Andrew to call you out from the pulpit, which he doesn't do that, but you never know. Hey, he might. Uh, you know, if that's the reason, you're, you're missing the real point of all of this. Because one of the great reasons that we labor is so that one day, perhaps, maybe, we might hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. To hear our God utter those words to us, that we might be accepted of him, that he might be pleased with the way we have spent this short little time of eternity that we have here on this planet, that he might be pleased and we would hear that well done. That becomes Paul's great motivator, his first reason that he gives. But secondly, in verse 10, he gives us another reason. For we must all appear before him, the judgment seat of Christ, 
that every one may receive the things that were done in his body according to that which is done, which he hath done, whether it be good or evil, good or bad. This is what we have to do. We're going to, every one of us, you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to stand before your pastor and give an account. You know what you're not going to do? You're not going to stand before your parents or your spouse or your children and give an account. That's not what happens. That's not the reason we get up and labor for the Lord. That's not the reason. The reason we labor is because there is something greater for us to live for, and this life is not what it's all about. Therefore, we labor that we might be pleasing him. Therefore, we labor knowing that one day we will stand before him. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes it as, you know, our life will be tested. And fire is going to literally be put to our works. And wood, hay, and stubble is all burned up. And the only thing left is gold, silver, and precious stones. And literally the picture that you get from that is, here's what happens. And this is the judgment seat of Christ being spoken of here in verse 10. What happens then is we go over to the pile that's left of our life after it's been burned up. And we pick up the gold and the silver and the precious stones, whatever there happens to be. And we literally present it. Revelations puts it this way. We cast it at his feet. We present it to our Savior. We did this because we love you. We did this because we wanted to please you. The reason for labor is because this life is not what it's all about. Because there's something greater to look forward to. And this is not so much given to us to scare us half to death. It's given to us in light of the first part of the chapter, which is a glory, right? The first part of the chapter is about putting off this mortal and putting on immortality. Because in this mortal body, we groan. In our, ver- in our song, that we, song of the month that we were singing in that uh, song, Mercy, listen to the second verse again. It says, Mercy, show more mercy. The next phrase is a killer. I keep desiring sin. Freed from sin's dark prison, yet still, I run back in. Do you know what happens in the first part of this chapter? When this mortal puts on immortality, I never have a desire to run back in again. Sin. My desire, my want for sin is gone. And that's a glory. Right now I groan. And I look forward for that great day. And so with that in mind, knowing that I'm going to stand before my Savior one day, the one who has set me free, I want to labor so I might please him. I want to labor so that what good I have done, I can offer to him as my love to him. Let's keep going. Look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now, stop there for a moment. You and I know the terror of the Lord, but it's not saying... Knowing because you're scared half out of your wits. Because as Christians, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Knowing what it would be like to stand before Christ without salvation. We persuade men. 
You see what he says? What is this labor that we do? We talk to people about Jesus in order to show him how much we love him, in order for him to be pleased with what we're doing, in order for us to put in light of this great time of the groaning ending and the great transformation finally taking place. With all of that in mind, we persuade men toward Christ. Look on down to verse 14. He gives me another reason why he's laboring. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we are thus, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. The love of Christ becomes Paul's great motivator. Um, here's the idea. You're here at church. You gave up your day great Christians that we are. You know, we sacrificed our morning. But, when we love Christ as we ought, there's no sacrifice involved anymore, right? We don't think of, we don't think of sacrifice when we take care of our children. We just take care of them because we love them. There's an old uh, Mother's Day poem type thing or whatever. I, it was not a poem. Was, uh, if it is a poem, I don't know if it's a poem. But it's a little story, you know, where the kid, a mom walks home, walks in from going grocery shopping, and there's a note on the table. And it reads something like this. Doing the dishes, 50 cents. Making my bed, 25 cents. Mowing the lawn, a dollar. Strike a line, I could keep going. Strike a line, total, $1.75, right? So this is the kid's bill. And then mom writes at the bottom of the note. Entering into the very jaws of death to bring you into this world. Nothing. Staying up all night long when you were sick with a fever. Nothing. Praying while you were out on your first night out without mom and dad. Nothing. You get the idea? When love's there, there's no sacrifice. It wasn't like mom was adding it all up. Hey, buddy, you owe me. Look at all the sacrifices I've made. That's not what mom's doing. When we love, there's no sacrifice. We just love. The love of Christ constraineth us. We're not doing God favors by coming to church if we love him. If you think that you're doing God a favor by having your devotions, you're missing out on the great love that should constrain us. The Apostle Paul says we labor because the love of Christ is driving us and pushing us. We want to do what we do. Parents love showering affection upon their children. They love it. It's our joy. And God wants us to love him in the same way. But the love of Christ is strained. Why? Because if he died for all, then why did he have to die for all? Because all were dead. So verse 15, and that he died for all, that they, which should, uh, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He says the reason that we want to serve and live for God is because since I was dead in my trespasses and sins and through him I am made alive, he is my reason to live. He becomes it. 
all were dead, and now all live in him who trust him. And so here it is. It's a great opportunity for us to then show forth our love. Verse 17, why did Christ, why did Paul say that he's, he uh, labors? Look at verse 17. If therefore, therefore if, I'm sorry, any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do you know why we labor? Because we're in this process of being made new, and every day changes us more and more in the image of his son. And we who are grateful and thankful people crawl on our hands and knees at the privilege of being able to honor the one who made all of this possible. And because we're new creatures, because things aren't the same anymore, right? Are things the same for you? Um, what's that old? Um, oh, what's that song? Evident. Mia, you and uh, Courtney used to sing it all the time. What is it? What? That's it. Everything changed in a moment. Moment of time. I can't remember exactly how it goes. Anyway, you get the idea. It's a moment of time that everything changed. And from that moment on, I have a reason to live that goes beyond the stuff that this world has to offer. Which is so little, it's, un- it's nothing. This world, everything it has to offer is the groan. And it is not death to die. Because when this mortal puts on immortality, it's finally, woohoo! It's like being born, right? No, no little baby says, ah, put me back in. <laughs> you know, for the first time, they see color. Think about this for a moment. Like, whoa, this is incredible. And that's what it's going to be like for us. It is not death to die. And so for all those reasons, we ought to love Christ enough. We're different people. Things are changed. We have a reason to labor for the Lord that is unique. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we labor? Because we have been given a ministry. Therefore, we persuade men. The ministry of reconciliation is ours. How can they believe except they hear? And how can they hear except one tell them? You and I have a job. Our purpose of existence, the reason we don't get saved and go to heaven immediately, is because all are dead. So just because I'm made alive in Christ doesn't mean that the people next to me are made alive in Christ. All are dead. And the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. And we have a motivation of the love of Christ that constrains us to know that one day we will stand before him and we'll scoop up what we have to offer to know that this life is so shallow and empty and we have something to offer other people. It is not death to die. We have this great ministry of reconciliation. Go down to verse 20. Now then, we are, what's the word? What is an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? Represents. An ambassador represents. We have ambassadors as as a, a country. We have ambassadors all over the United States. Right? And so 
that ambassador, when he speaks to that foreign country, or she speaks to that foreign country, they are speaking as if they are the United States of America. That's what their job is. They go and they speak, and they should be speaking for the president, but they're speaking for the people of the United States of America. They're ambassadors. They're representing. And here are you and I. Do you know how the world knows that Jesus loves them? How do we know that Jesus loves us? Somebody told us. Somebody showed us. The ambassadors must share that message. We have something to tell others. We have a message to proclaim. Right now, we are, you know, we are away from our country. We are aliens in a foreign land, literally. And our job is to represent our nation. And we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's where we're from. And right now, we're pilgrims and strangers, wandering here as ambassadors, sharing the ministry of reconciliation, persuading men of the same truth that we know that in Christ... It is not death to die. That in Christ, everything is made right. Which brings us to verse 21 in our our final. Why? He kind of sums it all up again with that word for. It is for these, for this reason that we do all of these things. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we, might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be clothed with immortality. That we might look forward to that great day when the groaning stops and life begins. There is a reason why birth is called labor. It's not the fun part. But after they're born, Life begins. And when this mortal puts on immortality for the very first time, we're going to step onto the other side of eternity and we will not be saying, can we go back? We will not be saying, why did you bring me here? We will be saying, it is not death to die. What a joy. Why are you working today, Christian? Why are you laboring? Has that labor become a burden instead of a love that constraineth us? Why are we laboring? And if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ your Savior. Can I tell you about a God who loves you so much that even when you, because all of us are dead in trespasses and sin, and all were dead in need of a Savior, that that same God sent his Son to become sin for you that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Heads bowed.